instead of being paid by the time that you're doing, switch to being paid by your results. Because if you're good at what you're doing, then you can achieve the same results, not working 10 hours, but two hours. You're listening to Marek Smyslowski, Polish entrepreneur and co-founder of Jumia Travel, which became Africa's first tech unicorn several years ago. If you're not familiar with the term, a unicorn is a privately held startup valued at over $1 billion. That's billion with a B. Marek has an amazing story about how he went from one of the most important tech entrepreneurs in Africa to landing on Interpol's most wanted list and came out proving his innocence on the other side. It's a story he touches on here, but he shares it fully in his book, Chasing Black Unicorns. You'll find a link in the show notes. Merrick's joined in this special two-guest episode with his life partner, Jaritza Reyes, who rose from poverty in the Dominican Republic to reach first runner-up in Miss World 2016. And she's used that opportunity as a springboard to acting, filmmaking, and a lot more. But what's really exciting to me is how Merrick and Jaritza have now fully embraced the solopreneur life and are paying it forward in a big way through their new nonprofit, Maya Foundation. As you'd expect, both have great advice on how you can transition to the solopreneur life and pay it forward too, and you're about to hear all about it, because Merrick and Jaritza are today's guests on Solopreneur Success. Welcome to the Solopreneur Success Podcast, where successful business owners gather to share true stories and sound advice to help you start and grow your own solopreneur business. Come soar with us and design the life you love. Now, here's your host, Steve Combs. Hello, solopreneurs. Today, I'm excited to be joined by two guests. Besides being one of the most important tech entrepreneurs in Africa, Polish-born Mark Smyslowski who co-founded Jumia Travel, Africa's biggest hotel booking portal, and HotelOnline.co, another travel site, has a fascinating story we're going to get into. And with him today is his life partner, Yoritza Reyes, who is probably best known as her title of Miss Dominican Republic University 2013, first runner-up in Miss World Competition 2016, as well as a Dominican actress and TV host. But I have no doubt both Merrick and Yoritza would prefer to be better known as the founders of Maya an organization making a tremendous difference in the lives of young people in Africa today. So Merrick, Dorita, thank you both for joining me today. Thank you for having us and for the invitation. And that was a great introduction, was <laughs> yeah. it? I'm blushing now. Thank God it's a podcast. <laughs> if I could, I'll be blushing too. That's impossible for me. And you both have a, a tremendous story, which I had to invite both of you on together because you do have this joint venture together of helping people. And I want to get into both of your stories. I think maybe we'll start with Mark first. And either one of you can jump in anytime it makes sense. Because I know we don't do a whole lot of, you know, three-way podcasts, but we're going to have fun with this. So that's okay. We're just going to enjoy our time together. Uh, Mark, your background in Poland, you had a a variety. I've been reading your book, Chasing Black Unicorns. And it's a huge journey you've taken from financial advisor type for a person to all kinds of different directions you've taken. Can you just maybe for our audience describe kind of what that journey looked like a little bit? Yeah, of course. So I'm going to give you my two minutes version of my life. <laughs> so born and raised in Poland, I was born in the late 80s. So I was the witness of the Polish post-communist transformation, which was an amazing time to run business in. I really fell in love with running business, but I went the classical route of dropping out of my university in order to pursue business career. And in the early 2000s, I joined a financial services company. I was like employee number five. When I was leaving after three years, there was like 5,000 of us. That's where I made some first real money. 
And obviously with the 2008 crash, everyone lost everything plus some debts on top of it. So it wasn't really, really crazy stuff. I barely got out of it with no debt because I fell in love with startups because at that time you would watch CNN and you would see those those hipsters sitting in the Starbucks in Silicon Valley writing something on their MacBooks with their soya latte and making millions. And I figured if they can do this, I can do it as well. So that's a joke. But obviously I'm looking at this jokingly now, but that's what really got me into startups. And among many ups and downs, I was able to build Poland's first nationwide marketplace for funeral services. I know it's a very crazy sector to go through, especially for a young guy. Everybody is dying to meet you. Everyone is dying. Oh my God, that's a good one though. <laughs> it's essentially, it was, it's also like an event agency, really, when you look at how a funeral home is, is operating. And I met people who were at that time running one of the biggest e-commerce companies in the world, probably not that known outside in U.S., because, you know, in the U.S., everyone knows Amazon. In China, everyone knows Alibaba. But also there's a third company called Rocket Internet that is like top five in terms of who's the biggest. They are not that known because they have different brands in different countries. And that they wanted to go into Africa and build the Amazon of Africa in a way. My experience with running funeral business, so running a business in a sector when, where not too many people really pay attention to online space and running business in the early days of technology in Poland, Apparently, those type of experiences were super valuable for someone to launch an online business in Africa. And I got an offer I couldn't refuse. They sent me to Nigeria. They told me, this is the budget. Run this business for us from scratch. Grow this company. And if you survive and if you deliver some results, you're going to earn your shares. And just to finish my story, that was one of the most amazing adventures in my life because we were able to build this company to pretty a big size. We went public last year on New York Stock Exchange. But also, when I launched another company of my own, also in Nigeria, that really got me into trouble because there was an attempt to kick me out of the company, give me an offer I couldn't refuse, but in the other direction, I was told that I have to give back my company for free. Otherwise, I will go to jail, essentially, because there was a corrupt police involved. That's when I decided, I think I will fight this and I'm going to write a book about it if I get out of this alive. Two years afterwards, a lot of strange adventures, a lot of depression, a lot of dangerous things, and a lot of luck. I got out of it. Thankfully, everything ended up positively. And I also wrote a book about both of my extreme adventures. So, you know, building this company and and making it big and going public, but also almost ended up in jail. That's the crux about the book I wrote, Chasing Black Unicorns. And also in the process, I've met Jarita, but I guess that's that's where you come into the picture. You didn't work out that bad in the end, I guess. Yeah, everyone is asking me a question. Like, would you change something if you were able to turn back in time? And I would always reply, as cheesy as it sounds, I probably wouldn't because I'm kind of happy where I am right now. And you never know <laughs> what would change in the long term if you change that one episode that you really don't like about it. It's what's created me. And I want to talk about Maya Foundation in a second. I just want to give you know give the stage <laughs> to the most important person in my life to share her story. Yeah, well, and I like what you said also because... I, was say, I saw a TEDx talk you did, and it was online. And, and at the end of it, your slide was, thank your enemies. They may change you into a better person. And that's really a, a fantastic outlook to have in life because, you know, people can do things to you, but only you control what's on the inside and how you respond to what's in your life. I'm sorry, Aretha, I, I cut you off there. Go ahead. Yeah. Oh, no worries. That's great what you just said. And I definitely believe in it. Like, I mean, no matter what happens to you, what's important is your reaction to whatever happens, if you use it for good or if at the end of the day, it's your choice. 
And in my case, I come from a very poor community in the Dominican Republic. Born and raised, my mother worked at a big factory and my father, public transport driver. I did two years of nursing school, but I was always involved in acting, singing, and it's something that always filled my life with joy. And it's one of the things that I feel like helped me stay focused and have like goals and ambitions in life because in my community, all my friends and all the people that were close to me, like especially girls, when they were 15 years old, they started to get pregnant and they were having babies. They were creating families and none of them were having the chance to go to university. But in my head, all I wanted to be, I I was like, I'm going to be a doctor, but I also want to help people in different ways. At the end of the day, I decided to sort of shift careers and something that I thought would be very helpful was to participate in a pageant because it was going to give me the exposure that I needed so I could enter in the media of the Dominican Republic so I could have a, a chance working on TV and also doing film. I didn't think that I was going to win the pageant, <laughs> not at all. But I didn't know that throughout my whole life I was actually preparing to be on, on stage, learning how to speak English through music. And the acting and the dance and the dancing and all of that just really helped me a lot. And I was able to win the pageant and represent my country in Russia 2013 and made it to the top 10 when we had a classification for like the last six years. And also through the work in the pageant, it made me create this sort of foundation where I came from. And what I was doing is kids from the community were coming to take lessons for uh, guitar and also acting, and some girls were taking modeling. And I feel like this was just right because I feel like those were the things that helped me change my environment and be able to grow some, like, like grow into a more mature person and also have more ambitions and goals and also come out of that community. But I wanted to give something back to them with music and with everything that I learned. And so far, I've been in several movies in my country. I've been uh, t- doing TV hosting. I also did the Miss World pageant. And this is sort of what I plan to do, continue just being on the media, but also trying to help people. And this is why making Maja Foundation with Maja just makes sense because we both wanted to give back to our communities and especially yeah. you in Africa. Yeah, yeah. So let us tell you how the whole Maya Foundation concept came about because it was a process. And it needs to be brought, I need to bring back the book again because it's all tied up. So first, I wanted to write the book, like I said, because I wanted to share my story. And that was a huge motivation for me to write down everything that happened to me because there were many very dangerous situations that I thought I almost gave up. But the concept of writing the book and sharing my story once there is a happy end really gave me power. And also another point was that a lot of people ask me, why are you still you know, doing business in Africa? Why are you still promoting Africa as a business destination after everything that happened to you? And I think that's when I realized that because of what happened to me, I am able to show in a reliable way that there are good stuff and there are bad stuff. But in total, you know, if it wasn't for the Nigerian courts, if it wasn't for the Nigerian lawyers, I wouldn't be able to talk to you right now. And another motivation for me was that, okay, and I'm going to publish the book and I want to do something good with this book. So I've decided that all the money I'm making from selling the book and all the speaking engagements, conferences that I am getting and I'm getting paid because of the book, I wanted to put into a charity. And so then I was starting to look, okay, let me find a charity that I want to put money into. So I turned to be an investor, just like I'm investing in companies. I want to find a healthy company that knows what they're doing with the money. So I started to search a charity 
but not like a guy that you know invests only with heart. I was like an investor and I was analyzing the operations of a charity like a proper investor. And that's where I realized that, oh my God, the way non-governmental organizations and charity organizations, especially in Africa, are operating is just one big mess. And I figured out I don't want to be a part of it. You know that there's a law in certain countries that when you're running a charity, you cannot spend more than 50% of the money you're raising on your operations because there are so many companies that are so ineffective in the way they're helping that you know even the government had to step in and said okay we will forbid you to act like this so i was trying to find a better way to spend that money and that's where the concept of maya foundation came about and there are a couple of important things which maya foundation is doing or is planning to do because i will tell you at what stage of planning we are and what we have done so far what we haven't done yet the first one was we decided to help someone that really needs that help i consider myself extremely lucky I always laugh that, you know, I was born in Poland. My father was a soldier. My mother was a teacher. So, you know, I was never hungry. Let's just put it this way. They always gave me the best education. So I was extremely lucky. And then I was born in a first world country. I'm a white, straight male. Culturally, I think we're the luckiest race and sex right now. So I figured, so where are the people in this world born that the fact and the location that makes them born into you know, steals them off the chances of being successful. And I didn't have to look far because I was living in Nigeria at that point. So there's this state in Nigeria called Borno, and there's a village called Chibok, where you have extremely bad tribal system and religious system that basically if you're born there, you will never be able to have a normal life because you're going to get kidnapped or or the terrorists will kill you. Forget about having access to education, TV, or even running water. And then Jarica told me where Marek First of all, if you want to do this, you have to focus only on women. Because obviously, yes, if you're a woman that is born in this state, you're going to probably be kidnapped by Boko Haram and you're going to be turned into a slave. A woman position in this environment is extremely low, not only in this region, but also in many regions of the world. And when you also focus on your help towards women, three things change. If you empower women, they will also empower their children. So if a woman understands the concept of education, their kids will also understand it because she will tell them they have to get education. If you empower women, they will, I think, respect them more up to this. So they probably won't have as many kids. They will focus on their own education. They will want to work and build their career and be more free, successful, etc. And I've also realized when you look at the numbers, when companies are governed by women, where countries are governed by women, there's science research about that. Countries perform better and companies perform better. So Jarica came to me and she said, we have to help women only. And then I was like, okay, let me check the data. And she was actually right. <laughs> yeah, because women, like, it's just in our nature. Like we're caregivers. So it's like you take care of your family, you take care of yourself, but you also think, like you just think for others and you just want to keep on helping. It's in our nature. It's not like men don't do it, but... For us, it's embedded, and that's what's happened with me and my family. And that's why also when I was doing the work in Dominican Republic, the children there were like female, because that's simple. You encourage the girls, and then they're going to be sharing the good knowledge, and they're going to be helping others, because that's what we are. (laughs) That's what we do. Yeah. And another point was that, you know, I come from the technology background, so we're always trying to leverage technology in order to run company as efficient way as possible. So we're trying to run this foundation as efficient as possible using technology. So we don't need to have five people that one sends money to another one. And there's a huge chain of people 
that need to be in the process until the money is sent to the person that really needs that help. And by removing people from the process, you're more efficient and you're also removing the possibility of someone stealing the money if there's less people involved. Another thing you have to take into account is that when you're sending different goods to Africa, for example, you're sending computers to Nigeria or you're sending soap or you're sending, I don't know, mosquito nets, whatever, everything that you send, you're actually creating competition to the local supplier, to the local manufacturer that now cannot produce his mosquito net because that village got, got all these mosquito nets from the Europe. So this guy goes bankrupt. So you also want to help in a way that doesn't kill the economy. And the most efficient way is just to send money. So you can use that money to buy stuff locally. But people are afraid to send money because money is easy to steal. So it's a vicious circle. So we try to also solve that issue. Send money directly to the people that are in need. I can talk more about how this is done, but really help them in the long term, not in the short term. So the last thing, and I'm going to finish this long story here already, is that we prefer to help small amount of people, but we want to help them as long as it's needed so they become independent. Instead of, it's always a hard choice. We prefer to give one meal a day to one kid for five years, 10 years, as long as that kid becomes a mature woman that is independent, than to give one meal to 1,000 kids in one day, because that is not a long-term effect on the environment. So we also figured we need to find a way to choose smaller amount of people that have a higher chance of success and we will help them as long as it's needed as they become independent so they can help another. So this is like a butterfly effect. One thing oh my I God, like I'm about... speaking so much. But I guess that only shows you the level of passion we have. <laughs> I, I see it completely. And one thing that really impresses me as well is both of you are so humble. I mean, you, you have both of you powerful backgrounds, which you're not using to promote yourself, but you're rather promoting the good of others. And that just speaks to my heart. I really love that about both of you. And I thank you for that. I do want to come back to Maya Foundation. But I know that you've developed businesses within Africa, and I'm wondering, you made a very interesting comment just a minute ago about you know, not just sending goods to Africa, because what you're up doing is you're not providing a helpful thing. And of course, we're talking to an audience of solopreneurs and entrepreneurs, and they're saying, okay, if I want to do business in Africa and I can't send goods there, how do I build a business that might better others and at the same time better my business? How would you recommend somebody get involved with Africa? And would you recommend an individual who's a solopreneur or an entrepreneur to get involved in business in Africa? And how would they go about doing that? Do they need to actually move to the continent like you did? Or is that something they can do from Europe or US or wherever they're from? Okay, now that's going to be a long answer. So that's good fine. <laughs> um, I believe that it's way more effective just to go Africa and spend money there in any way. Because even if you go as a tourist, and you'll make sure that you're spending money buying local food from local people, local souvenirs from local manufacturers, taking a local taxi cab. Do not just spend all your money in the all-inclusive resort yeah. because most of the money goes to some foreign corporations. Just spend money on local people that offer you some goods. And don't try to bargain the goods. Don't try to bargain that hard. Obviously, they're probably going to make a lot of money on you. They're going to take advantage of your lack of knowledge of the market. But take it as a way of supporting the local environment, because I've seen this over and over again in Nigeria. I would see this guy that I would use as a, my taxi driver, and I used him for four years because I was living in Nigeria for four years. When I started with him, he just borrowed money to have his car from his family. Then after a year, he was able to pay back the money to this family from, because he was making money on riding with me all the time. And then the next year, he borrowed money for another car, and he now hired his cousin to drive another car. 
and so on and so on. And when I left Nigeria, he already had five cars. <laughs> and he ran out of cousins. Yeah. So, <laughs> so this is a great way just to spend money there. Obviously, not everyone is in the position to go there and just run the business there. But when you look at what is the most effective way, thing right now to help African economies, if I can generalize like this, become more powerful, independent, not dependent on the Europe, United States, etc., is the transfer both of knowledge and direct money. And how do you transfer knowledge and money in the most honest way? That is just not too much theft and corruption. You hire people who are sent by their families to your country of origin to study or to work. You meet those people on every corner. Check who's your Uber driver, who sells you the hamburger. There's so much people that have moved to your country because you're probably lucky to live in a very rich country. Those people from Africa, from Bangladesh, from Pakistan, I'm telling you, they spend probably 75% of their salary and they send it back to the family. So at some point, they will raise enough money. They will probably come back to their country of origin. Maybe they'll build a house. They open their own company. They all want to come back at some point, or at least many of them. So I think that's you can support by you know not changing too much in your life without exposing yourself to too many risks. So how would you recommend finding folks that you can support? For example, I have a, a virtual assistant in the Philippines, for example. That's not Africa, but it is an opportunity to work with somebody in a different nation than what I'm in in the United States. How do you recommend finding individuals that you can work with if they're not local to you? I mean, I, I would love to raise the idea of how do you build relationships with others that support them and help them grow? And yet, obviously, as a business podcast, we need to look at it for the aspect of, is it realistic for a solopreneur, an entrepreneur who wants to build their business working with someone else? that it makes sense. So it has to make, like you did the yeah. data, your research, what does it make sense for a nonprofit or a yeah. for-profit business? The same kind of data and research goes into it. How do we best utilize resources that support others? And I know there's a lot of opportunities out there through like Upwork or, or what have you, that you can hire entrepreneurs who are working through third-party platforms. Any suggestions on how to begin those kind of relationships? I would first, you know, look at the round. I wouldn't try to change my whole life just to now help someone because I got excited about it. This needs to be, you know, step by step. This podcast is listened by solopreneurs. So you guys are just like we are because we, we also consider ourselves solopreneurs. I have a lot of people around me that I partner with. I don't hire people as my employees, but there's a huge network of people around me that I already know and trust that I delegate stuff to, whether this is a virtual assistant, a graphic designer, a website builder, and so on and so on. I think there's like 20 people I work with on a more or less constant basis. So those type of people, if you work with them remotely, then most likely you work with a lot of people with India or maybe with Asia, because these countries are a little bit more advanced than Africa because the education there was better, the internet connection is better they're just more advanced economically. So it was easier for you to find them and probably you've worked with them. Now, maybe go step backwards and for your next gig on Upwork or 99designs, find someone from Kenya or from Nigeria or from South Africa and take that leap of faith by giving them small tasks. If they don't perform, you haven't lost much, but get out of your comfort zone and give them the benefit of a doubt that they can be good as well and move part of your you know, delegated tasks to this type of regions. And that's how you are helping them. Yeah? I have a funny story because I used to have a virtual assistant from Nigeria, but that was a big problem for me because if she was, for example, booking flights for me, she would call an airline and she would say, so yes, I am from Nigeria and I have this credit card of this Polish guy and I want to book a flight ticket. So obviously no one, no one <laughs> did it. 
So you can't delegate everything, but obviously you can delegate a lot. Just look at all those people around you. What type of services do you need? Find out if maybe you can get a better value for money looking at this particular geography. That's how you're helping the money flow between economies. Yeah. Yeah. And I'm doing the Sorry. same thing. Okay. I just wanted to kind of get your thoughts on it because I share my thoughts occasionally on the podcast, but I love to hear different perspectives. And I found the exact same thing. When you try to look for opportunities, you can definitely save money by hiring out, but it's a win-win because they're actually raising their living standard when they work with you for a reasonable rate. And it's reasonable for yeah. both sides because it's less expensive than hiring first world. But at the yeah. same time, they're getting an increased standard of living and growing not just in money, but also the ability to communicate, for example, in English or whatever language you use. And I found that's really powerful. And I go out of my way to work with folks who are in other nations now because I see the value there for both sides. It's, a, it's not a me taking advantage of somebody. It's a actual relationship. It's a business relationship that makes sense for both sides. And that's always powerful. And it's partnering. Well, because as a solopreneur, you're not, like you said, you're not hiring somebody. They're not your employee. You don't give them a W-2 if you're in the U.S. or wherever. But you are building a relationship where they have a business they're growing and you have a business you're growing and you both benefit. And you mentioned that you're both yeah. solopreneurs. So I'd love for each of you to tell me a little bit about what do you do on the business side of things today? Maybe. Go ahead. Well, in my case, <laughs> most of my business is done through acting and also modeling. Something that also has, like, coming from a third world country, and it's this eagerness that we have to mm. show others that we can, and it's this thing hunger, that, yeah. yeah, it's this hunger, and it's like, you just, whatever task you are given, you just want to prove people that you know how to do it, that it doesn't matter where you're based or where you come from, like, if you get the knowledge and you're given the opportunity, you're going to exceed at the job because that's basically part of my story. It's like coming from a poor neighborhood and I want to show everyone that there's smart people coming from the hood. Like, there's people that are willing to put their countries in a higher place because they were always told otherwise. They were always told that it was not like that. So, like, for example, in my country, like, just right now, a lot of people going to make films there and it's like half and half. Half of the um, equipment and people that work there, they need to be Dominican and the other part can be from another country and then they have some incentives with taxes to work there. And that's how our economy and that's how our film industry has grown because it was also, okay, like, just come here. We're going to make it like sort of easier for you with the taxes. But then we're also going to be able to show you and prove you that what we're doing is right and you're going to have a very good quality. We have a lot of films from Hollywood that are being recorded in my country because we were given the chance, we were given the opportunity to show them that we have the right equipment, the right technicians, and we're just so eager to be able to be putting out there and just work. That's awesome. You also did TV hosting, I believe you said at one point. How did you get involved in television? Was that before acting or how did that come about? It was after the pageant. So it was after the pageant that I was able to start working on a TV show. And I got a segment about traditions and culture. At first, we started just doing Dominican Republic. But since I was traveling so much around because of the pageants, then I just decided to bring along my equipment. So I bought a camera, lights. At the beginning, I was only recording with my iPhone. Like, that's all I had. Like, I will record with my iPhone. I had someone to help me out. And then, like... As I was traveling, I would just bring everything with me. And that actually people enjoyed it. I have shows that I've recorded in Bhutan, in Panama, Poland, here in Spain. 
So it was also this part of like, okay, first is Dominican Republic, but let's make it bigger. Let's also show Dominicans or what's there out there so they can learn and that they want to go. The last one that I recorded that hasn't been yet shown is the one that we did in um, Ethiopia. In Ethiopia. Oh my God. We really enjoy going there. And it's uh, also, for me, I feel that's also a nice part of what I like doing. It's also showing like, hey, Africa is not only deserted places where people are abandoned. No, like there's also nice areas. There's a lot of people that are working very hard and us Dominicans also have a chance to go there and explore it. Jace is so humble, but there is a plan behind everything that she's doing. I can see it now. So she knew she wants to get out of, you know, what the society was giving to her. She was in nursing school and this certain part of society. So she knew that she has a chance to break out of it by going to the pageant. That's how she got exposure. Being exposed and being, you know, in the center of attention allowed her to got herself a geek in a TV channel. Essentially, it didn't cost them, I guess, too much to engage with her because she was doing most of her job, but that's how she got exposure into TV. And, you know, baby steps, baby steps, she ended up actually being a host in this TV channel in the studio. So I absolutely love how she initiated there. And then, you know, now Adjarica, because she's traveling more, so she's also posting a lot of content for her social media platforms. It's not only TV because now everything is blending. Actually, TV stars yes. want to be on social media now, not the other exactly. way around. <laughs> What's amazing is that she's actually doing all her video edits herself because she doesn't trust anyone. She does everything herself because, you know, she's a very tiny attention to details. And I look at her videos and I'm like, how is that possible that she didn't have a professional editor? Because, you know, the months spent of working with the TV guys, you just, you're just getting that experience from them. And you know, she wasn't even paid in the beginning by the TV station, but she knew what she was doing, you know. So, um, yeah, sometimes yeah. you just have to do that as well. You just work for free, yeah. you scale up, and then you're going to get what you deserve. Yeah. <laughs> That's great advice, whether you're in business or you're, or you're taking a career path, because really showcasing oh, yeah. value, that's how you grow. And, and you get to, when you show what you can do, you're going to get interest. Oh, that's awesome. And Merrick, how about yeah. you? What are you up to these days? I know you've been busy in a lot of different areas. What are you, yeah. what are you up to? Yeah, so there were a couple of stages in my life. And I was able to see those stages when when I wrote this book. Yeah? First, I was really this like a young wolf of Wall Street, almost like hungry, hungry guy to make business, etc. And and I got all this. Like I had I was 20 something, 21, I think. I had my first car, I you know, a cabrio car and a huge apartment and my first million. Then I got depressed. I figured out that this is not what I want to do. And then I learned that you call this burning out. I didn't know that this is burning out at that point. So I lost all my money. The crisis came. Then I fell in love with startups. And that's really in those startups, I built my first huge organization because we went from zero employees to essentially 3,000 in four years in, in, in Africa. And we, we did an IPO. But then I got myself into this trouble with, with Interpol. And the last two years of my life was really about writing the book with my left hand and writing court documents with my right hand. And I really took these two years to deal with this, recover from it. And maybe also got more mature and more humble. And obviously, I'm an entrepreneur in my blood, what I've realized. But I really fell in love and I appreciated the fact of being on your own. Because obviously, I couldn't run a business anymore than being able to travel and having to go to court every couple of weeks. And not knowing how it's going to happen. Obviously, running a business wasn't for me. So I had to switch, even I liked it or not, to more of an advisory role in different businesses. Because a lot of people that saw what happened to me, they were like, oh, I want to pay this guy. So this doesn't happen to me. <laughs> so I turned more into an advisor. 
I really value this because it gives you way more freedom. I've done a couple of business angel investments into startups in the process, but I've realized that being an investor is not for me because if you want to invest in companies, you have to be able to detach from the emotional part of the business. You need to look at the numbers. I'm very emotional and I would invest in companies just because I like the founder and I did, he was running a business that I wanted to run on my own anyway. So I was kind of like, you know, buying a gifts for myself that I couldn't get when I was a kid in a way. So this didn't work for me. So now going through all this, there are two companies which I'm kind of playing an advisory role because they're already pretty big and they're doing a lot of stuff in Africa. I'm helping them with launching new countries. I did this with Glovo, which is the European biggest competitor to Uber Eats. There's also an AI company that does marketing for big retail brands. I also helped them establish themselves in three African countries. There's also a solar company, which I got myself more involved in, and I'm helping them launch. And, and I like this, this role. I'm really enjoying where I am right now because I'm having access to many different companies in many different sectors. I'm learning a lot and I'm owning my own time. I'm able to either work more at home or travel more, depending what Jarita is doing. Because, you know, her work is that she may be in home for like six months and she's just getting ready, preparing, practicing <laughs> and movies. And then for three months or six months, she's on the road every day because they're shooting somewhere, you know. And me having this solopreneur now lifestyle, not being responsible for 100 people in the office waiting for me, I can join her and kind of adjust my life to, to, be, to be closer to her. So that's very enjoyable. So I guess now I'm half an author, half an advisor. It's so hard to, you know, when you're a solopreneur and probably many people ask you what you're doing, it's hard to explain sometimes what you're doing, right? Because you're not, yeah. you're not a doctor or an engineer anymore. This is a totally new definition of life activity. And if you want to use the old school definitions, then you probably say 10 things at once, yeah? Because <laughs> you know a bit of everything. Exactly. Or you tell whoever you're talking to based on the relationship you have with them. I had, I had a call with somebody yesterday. It wasn't a podcast call, just a networking conversation by Zoom, being in coronavirus times okay. right now. And it's like, what do you do? It's like, oh, well, here's like, I do this, and I do this, and I do this, and I do this. And the funny thing yeah. is, what do you say? Because, you know, yeah. you have multiple roles. And sure, you can, as a solopreneur, focus strictly on one area, but it is kind of cool that you could really broaden your horizons. You're not limited creatively when you're your own yeah. boss. You can do whatever you really want to. It's just a matter Correct. of what, what's your bandwidth. And obviously you have to you know, use wisdom so you don't stretch yourself so thin you can't accomplish anything. But you and have, have to power. find someone that pays for it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> for sure. So if somebody wants to be a solopreneur, let's say that somebody's listening to this and they're, they're not a solopreneur, they're still in a corporate life, or maybe they, they're an entrepreneur and they have a huge business, but they would like that kind of lifestyle that we enjoy. What would you, either one of you recommend as far as what do you look for in starting a solopreneur business or how do you become successful getting started? Because you both have very different stories in getting started, but very powerful stories. Now, I'd love to hear what your perspective is on someone who wants to get started as a solopreneur, or maybe they have something, but they're not really doing a whole lot with it. It's, not, it's Maybe they're still working the job to pay the bills, but they, they have this bigger dream. How do you keep going in solopreneurship? How would you recommend somebody get started? So I kind of didn't have a choice because I had to switch, as you remember. And I assume this is a question for people can't just afford now to, you know, leave the job and figure it out for a year because they don't want to risk losing all their savings. Yeah. So obviously this has to be done in baby steps. I guess the first step is you need to create space for yourself to even think about this. I guess it would be maybe negotiating with your boss to 
at least work remotely for some time of your life, which is amazing now. I think this yeah. is the time to do it now because, never, you know, it used to be a problem because obviously when you're working from home, you have way more time. You don't spend time on commuting, etc. You have more energy, etc. You can, you can create that space for yourself. It's probably also maybe looking at your job responsibilities and instead of being paid by the time that you're doing, switch to being paid by your results. Because if you're good at what you're doing, then you can achieve the same results, not working 10 hours, but two hours. So you've done all you were supposed to do in terms of results for the first two hours of your day. Now you have way more time. But if someone is paid by the hour, then obviously this is going to be way more challenging. So I think my first step would be first create space to try a lot of different things because we're going to be trial and error. We're probably going to fail the first time. So you want to create an environment that allows you to try new things and make mistakes, but you can't afford to make a mistake and lose everything. You have to create an environment that allows you to try different things, but always have that safety net, which is your main, main, main job. So baby steps here. Yeah, I think so that would, that would be my, step, my first step. Exactly. The risk management, yeah. Obviously, everyone is trying to find a business model, an area that allows you to, to make more money. Like If you've been an engineer for 20 years, like if you're now trying paintings, or become a marathon runner or whatever that can make allow you to make money and have a different lifestyle, that's probably going to be a very, very challenging. If you want to maximize the probability of you making that switch, that leap of faith cannot be too big. You probably want to do something around your RAX expertise that you've already done. I don't know, an engineer may want to start a podcast about engineering, may want to switch from working for a big company to finding a couple of clients getting big projects for them and doing this independently. You know, as long as you don't have a non-compete, there is no conflict of interest with what you're doing now. So to sum up, I would probably lay down every skill that I know I have, every unusual knowledge that I know I have that is not so common and try to leverage this. Basically, what do I like to do? And are there people that will pay me to do that? <laughs> exactly. <laughs> I, don't know, that, that's, I know that's very general, you know, but that's really all there is. You have to keep trying, you know? I don't think there's any hidden knowledge, any secret to this. There's this rule, create space, find what you can do else that people will pay for. You're probably going to try 100 times, keep trying. You know? Or also yeah. just be an intern somewhere that you feel like you might get the knowledge that you need to do whatever business you want to get yourself into. So you just first, like, you just start doing the jobs, like you are assistant to someone, you get the skills. Therefore, like if you have this safety net of the job that you're still doing, like your current job, and then in the time that you have available, you're interning for someone else or you're just assisting, then it's going to be a lot of work. But still, like, you're going to get more knowledge towards what you want to do. And then you're going to find yourself at a moment where you can jump and take this leap of faith into the business that you've been getting the knowledge already. Just not jump into like this nothingness and like, okay, now yeah, what? What if you fail? Although it probably might work for some people. You know, they say for that some, once yeah. you have a gun next to your head, people really perform better. But it's very risky, yeah. <laughs> probably not mathematics. No. <laughs> yes, and I love that point about an internship. That can happen through training, you know, by paid training, or you can get a coach, or you can work with some company that is doing the kind of work that you want to grow in. Those are all great ideas. And yeah. that's kind of the tradition that used to be in society was, you know, it's trade skills. If you want to be a mason, you would come up, you know, in masonry under somebody who's a master craftsman and, and learn from that person. And eventually you would get yeah. to the point where you could start your own business. Now we've kind of yeah. accelerated that curve. You could probably gain the skills you need to know 
to become a very successful entrepreneur or solopreneur within months or a couple of years at the most in most types of trades. Just a matter of you know growing, becoming confident and competent in what you do, and then using it. So I, yeah. I appreciate those suggestions. They're great. Any final thoughts that you'd like to share with our audience about business in general or about working with countries in Africa or other nations or even just how to support other people better? Because that's a big part of our conversation today is also is, is not just growing your business, but also paying it forward. We are very blessed and thankful to have the opportunities we do have. How can we extend you know, those opportunities? Others have talked about that already today. What's the next step that somebody could maybe connect with you and help in this greater vision of making a better mankind? Well, that's a big one. Maybe you start. So I have more time to think about it. <laughs> I mean, like right now, a big tool that you can use is any sort of social media, either it's Facebook, either it's Instagram, LinkedIn. Like there's so many ways to connect with the people that you feel like you would like to work with or help them or that you need their help. Like I, on, on a regular basis, I'm always getting questions from people that feel I could help them with something, even if it's just an advice. So we're very much open to that. If anyone wants to come close to us, like they can just write us a message because I mean, like it's just so close, like you have it in your hand. You have such a powerful tool just as a smartphone and it can make you connect with a lot of people. And I also feel that you just need to sort of put yourself out there. It's very scary before jumping into something you really want to do because sometimes you're afraid of failure, but you might as well just try it because... I mean, as cheesy as it might sound, like we just have one life and we need to make sure that we live it as full as possible. We just need to go chasing those dreams. And I feel like day by day, like that's what we have to do. Just like go at what you want one day at a time. Like you just go and you just try to to get better at it. Uh, thank you, baby. Now I had more time to think about my oh. answer. <laughs> so you asked about first, like running a business in a way that doesn't only help you, but also supports your environment. I think you can do it in a couple of ways. You know, if you're running a business that is just about making money, because let's face it, if you have a mobile application and curating, a, you're running a, mo- a game, people are playing your game and they're just spending money or you're running a casino, then you're making money, but that doesn't necessarily have a great influence on the world. I think that's where you should maybe focus a little bit more on that money transfer between the economies when there's more money and that where there's less money. Because after spending eight years of my professional life in, in Africa, I see that the biggest problem is that all those economies live in echo chambers. There's just not enough cash transfer to the people that really need it. So any way that allows you to engage with people from those regions, whether hiring them for remote work or hiring them if they are immigrants, because most of immigrants work very hard and they're sending the money to their families, you're good. Like you're really giving a lot of value. Then you can also change the sector. You know, Now I'm involved in a company that builds solar roofs. So basically it's a roof that also creates power from the sun. And I know that every kilowatt of power that is created from sun is one kilowatt power less that used to be by coal or any other source of energy that doesn't necessarily is good for the environment. So I really like that approach because you're making money and you're also adding something more to it. So that's the case. You also asked me about an advice. My favorite advice comes from Will Smith. He said that the best advice he got in life is that you have to keep running and you have to keep reading. He said that you have to keep reading because you're not that special. 99% of problems in your life, someone else already had, and most likely there's a book about it. 
Yeah. Uh, so we're re- <laughs> if you, if you re- have a problem with Interpol, definitely read Merrick's book, Chasing Black Unicorns. <laughs> oh, yes. Yeah. And call me. I'll give you access to good lawyers. <laughs> um, so uh, this is really true. Yeah. And then he said, also keep running. And obviously it's a general statement. But the whole point is that running is the most basic training of your brain. Because running is all about fighting with your brain. The brain keeps telling you, it's enough. You don't have to run anymore. Just go get this cake. So training you to run and fighting with that internal voice to stop will be very helpful in business on so many other occasions. And, you know, I get this question a lot. And then I realized that when I look at the books I'm reading, I'm reading all the books everyone else is reading. So there's nothing special that I know that no one else knows. But I think what I do pretty good at is that I think I never, ever give up. Like, Joritz, I can say this is true. The harder it gets, the more I fight. I don't know what, what giving, up, giving up really means. I guess that's what really saved me in many cases. And you also asked how to, because you had so many questions. No, <laughs> you also asked about how to reach us. I think it's very easy. So the book site is called tracingblackunicornsobviously.com. And that's where you can read about the book, about the foundation. You'll have my social media accounts. And I don't think you're connected there. So Jaritza's website is jaritzareges.com. And you can just Google, but you can, you know, I don't have to be a lawyer. Well, yeah, I'll put it all in the show notes. That's no problem. So if you're listening to this and you say, I, I yeah. want to connect, but I don't yeah. have something to write it down, we'll, just head we'll over to the, the website. Yeah, It'll yeah, be in yeah. the show okay. notes, all the links. Jaritza Regis, because I think the pronunciation is different than the letters itself, yeah? Because so it's, it's Spanish. Y-A-R-I-T-Z-A-R-E-Y-E-S. Perfect. <laughs> <laughs> That's it. Yeah. It was funny at the beginning of this conversation, I had practiced all morning long to get both of your names correctly. And I'm sitting there massacring your names. I was like, it's like three <laughs> on the intro, just so you know. It's just kind of a little insight to our podcast, those yeah. of you are listening. That's just one of the, the fun things about working with folks. They're of slightly different cultures. Pronunciations are a little bit different, but that's okay. We're just having a good time here. And we're really enjoying this yeah. conversation together and bringing this wisdom to you as a listener, both to be a Merrick, Jerisha, thank you so much for coming on here today. I'm really pleased to be able to bring your wisdom and your knowledge and your experiences to our audience. I want to just thank you for coming on. Oh, thanks so much for having us. I love what you're doing. I've listened to a couple of your podcasts. I think the last one was about affiliate marketing, also a very interesting one. Yeah, and anytime you want to, if you like talking, call us. <laughs> yeah, for me, it was a great pleasure as well to be able to talk to you. So, I think it was great. <laughs> Thank you for listening to the Solopreneur Success Podcast. We hope you discovered valuable advice on how to start and grow your own successful solopreneur business. If you liked the podcast, you'll love the all-new Solopreneur Success Connections community at solopreneurcoach.com. Here you'll get exclusive access to our private, members-only community of business builders, free business building resources, and live online monthly training designed to accelerate your business success. Join us now at solopreneurcoach.com. Hey, Solopreneur, Steve Combs here again. You can find all the show notes for this episode at solopreneurcoach.com forward slash zero two one. I've always loved the concept of paying it forward with a hand up towards independence rather than a series of handouts which only creates more dependency. That's why I really appreciate what Merrick and Juritza are doing with their Maya Foundation. Take a look in the show notes for the link to learn more. I also would like to highlight another nonprofit organization making a real difference in the lives of entrepreneurs around the world, Kiva.org. They support entrepreneurs through crowdfunded microloans so they can get capital to grow and expand their business. 
Unlike charity, these microloans are paid back to you. It's a hand up, not a handout. And you can even use the same money again and again to help more entrepreneurs. I've created a solopreneur success team on Kiva and now invest $5 of every monthly solopreneur success connections paid membership to helping other entrepreneurs through Kiva. You could easily join my team. Pick an entrepreneur of your own to support from virtually any country in the world and help them with a loan of as little as $25 to start. It's truly a way to help somebody out. I hope you'll consider joining my team to make a difference by paying it forward to other entrepreneurs throughout the world. Again, all those links are in the show notes at solopreneurcoach.com forward slash 021.